Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. One of the things that you've probably heard before in the past is uh, trust the process. Maybe you've used the term trust the process before. Um, really what it is, it's, it's about going through a certain uh, set of processes to get to the place that you want to be. And, you know, I've got, I got a buddy, um, I, uh, I got a person that I know on Facebook who he's always talking about trust the process. And sometimes I'm like, dude, just stop talking about trust the process and, like, actually go through a process or something. Uh, but we, this is something that we hear all the time today is trust the process. And there was uh, one particular thing that I was thinking through this week about, you know, like, okay, what are areas where I've had to trust the process? And one of those things is our Kids Midweek uh, program that we run. For those of you who don't really understand what it is, I'll just give you a brief synopsis, synopsis of it. But it is uh, Wednesdays after school. We go and meet at Wilson Elementary, uh, and we have, uh, we have about 60 kids usually from the school there, 50 to 60 kids from the school there that hang out with us. And then we've got a bunch of leaders and their kids who come, and we have a Bible, a Bible club program. And... It is a trust the process kind of a program. Uh, it was about five years ago we started. We've been doing this for five years. Uh, really only four years at the school because 2020 happened. Thank you very much, 2020. Uh, but we weren't able to go into the school that year. But a lot of people don't know, we actually started a year before that. Uh, in the very, very first year that we did Kids Midweek, we were doing it out of our office facility. Uh, if you've ever been there, it's, it's called Fox Hills. And no lie, I mean, the room... The room is like no bigger than this stage, the whole office, it feels like. And so we would have like 25 church kids crammed into this room. And it was, it was great because they were learning about Jesus and it was awful because they were in my office making a lot of noise. And, and it was just, I was like, I'm like, I got to get them out of here. So we're like, okay, what can we do? And we decided we would go and, and do this. Instead of doing it like a church thing, we decided to make an outreach program. And so Decided to go to Wilson Elementary, and I gotta say, the first time I walked in the school, Wilson, Wilson Elementary, I was kind of disheartened. So I'm walking around, and you ever get that feeling where it was just kind of feels dark and dreary? That's what the school was feeling like as I was walking in it that day. It's funny because I walk in there now, and I don't feel that. Uh, but I think it's because God has brought me along through this process. I remember meeting with the the principal that uh, that first time I met with her talking to her about what we wanted to do, bringing kids, keeping kids at school on Wednesday after school and doing a Bible club program. And I think she thought I was nuts. She's like, you want to keep these kids at school longer when they've already struggled most of the day? And I'm like, yeah, sounds awesome. Um, and she kind of thought we were crazy for the first couple years. And after doing it for a couple years, it's like she started to, to trust it a little bit. But it's trust in the process. And I had to keep trusting the process, keep trusting the process. We'd have leaders, when I brought leaders around us, they're like, hey, Kellen, how are we going to get kids here? I'm like, trust the process. It's pizza. That's all we need. Like, you just bring, you bring in Papa John's and they will come. I had a dream like I was in Field of Dreams. Um, just bring in pizza. But then the really tough things started happening. We, we would start meeting and we'd have, you know, we'd have a good week, maybe a second good week, and then we'd have one of those other weeks. One of those weeks where, like, it's full moon night or something, and the kids are crazy. Um, 
kids are getting in fights and kids are not being respectful to adults and all that stuff. And afterwards, I could see the look on, on, our, our, on our midweek difference makers' faces. And I was like, I, I need to save this. <laughs> this is, they, they want to kill me or just run away forever. And so I talk, about, talk to them and, and, hey, guys, trust the process. This is, it's not always going to be easy. But as we do this a long time, kids are going to get to see what the gospel is about. Um, just was a constant going back to trusting the process, trusting the process. And then there were nights that I'd go home after I would tell the, the leaders, it's going to be okay, and I'd, I'd cry into my pillow and be like, why are we doing this, Lord? Um, I didn't cry into my pillow for real, guys. Some of you are like, wow, f- cries into his pillow? No. Uh, don't cry into my pillow. But there were times where I had to convince myself to trust the process too. That's the thing about trusting the process. It's, you have to trust it because it's not always easy. It's difficult. And there's a process that I think that Jesus takes us through. Oh, I kicked that way further than I expected to. Um, there's a process that Jesus takes us through that it is not easy. And the passage we're going to look at today is talking through Luke chapter 10. Um, trust in the process that Jesus takes us through as he changes everything. But as he changes everything, I think he also calls us to go into other people's worlds and help them see the change that Jesus can bring. And that's a, that's a hard process for us to go through sometimes. Um, you know, it's, we're titling this series, Jesus Changes Everything. And, and sometimes it's like we live like we think, Jesus changes my life and then leaves everybody else to themselves. And that's the opposite of what I think Jesus has for us. I think he wants to change us, but he wants to change others through us. The question is, I think the big question is, how does he do that? How does Jesus want to use us to change others? How does he get us to that place? So, looking at Luke chapter 10, I think we're going to see some answers here, okay? So, follow along with me. We're, we're going uh, verses 1 through 9 and then verse 16. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When when you enter a town and are welcome there, eat what is offered you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Whoever listens to me, listen whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him, him who sent me. So this series is ultimately a series that is, is leading us towards this idea, week in and week out, of reaching out to people for Jesus. It's not an easy thing for us a lot of the time. Uh, it's not something that we always feel like we want to do. It's about bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to other people. And frankly, if we're, if we're people who follow Jesus, if we're Christians... There should be a desire for us to let other people know this Jesus that we know. If, if we really know who Jesus is, we're going to want people to know that. It's, it's like when you see people, uh, maybe they make a, a really good meal at home. And what's the first thing that they do? They want to tell people about it. So they take a picture of it and they put it on social media. I don't understand that one exactly. I think if you look throughout my, all my social media, I probably did it one time, I have to admit. 
But like, can, can we stop doing that? I don't want to go on social media and get hungry, okay? So just don't do it that way. But we want to tell people the good things that happen to us. Your kids do a randomly good thing once in a great while, right? And, and you want to tell everybody, you want to kind of humble brag about your kids. So you go on social media and you, you find ways, you're in a conversation with somebody, it has nothing to do with your kids, but you found a way to make it about your kid for a moment because you want to talk about your kid when you know, they make you proud. Now, I'm a, I'll be the first to say, I don't, I don't go talking about Jesus like crazy on social media. I don't talk about a lot of things on social media, to be honest with you. But I'm not really proud about how I can talk about just about anything except bring Jesus into a conversation sometimes. Um, I think that we're called to, to make Jesus a focal point of our lives. And so this, this series is really about sharing Jesus. Because uh, for years, the mission of our church has been to know Jesus and to make him known. We want to equip you to make Jesus known. But I also believe it's, it's hard to walk into a church service and sit and, and listen to somebody tell you, like, go tell people about Jesus. Go tell If it's not also telling me something about a way that Jesus is going to build my life up. So for the last couple of weeks, as we've been going through this, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a woman at the well. And Jesus came, and this woman was just trying to survive. She was hurting. And Jesus kind of took, took a load off of her life, took a weight off of her. And once that happened, once she realized it, she went into the town and talked to people that didn't like her about Jesus. And so Jesus does something for her, and then she wants to go and do something. Um, same thing last week. We were talking about a bunch of fishermen. And Jesus was like, I want you to now go and fish for men, not just go fishing for fish. And what he did was, they had, a, they had a really bad night of fishing. They didn't catch anything. They were skunked. And he tells them, hey, I want you to go out, put the nets out into the water, out into the deep part of the water where fish shouldn't be caught. And you're going to pull in fish. And they did. He made something beautiful out of, their, out of their failure. And so when we see Jesus do that, it makes us want to go now and, and become fishers of men and actually tell people about Jesus. And so while Jesus aims to get us to share him with others, he always does so while showing us more of why he's worth sharing with others. I think out of this passage, you're going to see there's a reason why Jesus is worth sharing. It's not just he's telling us to go and do it and we have to suck it up and go do it. He, he makes it worthwhile. And part of what I think you're going to see in this passage is sometimes we become combative as people. We want people to think like us. Uh, we want people to, they might have all these wrong thoughts and we, we want to even be able to become combative and get them to thinking like us. And I think Jesus illustrates in this passage not just a way to go and tell people about Jesus, but also how to have real relationships with people that actually matter and that we, where we put value into people. And so I think that's another reason, that's why I love scripture. While he might be telling us to do stuff, he's also showing us how good he is. So the first part of this process that we're going to get to it comes right out of verse 1. Here's the first part of this process of Jesus. You need to understand that every believer is equipped to tell someone about Jesus. Got to understand everybody can do this. Uh, he says in verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. I'm going to try and keep each of these parts short, there's going to be kind of five parts that we're going to look at, I think, that Jesus is trying to, to get us, point us towards here. 
but I think all of these points are important. And so I want to I hit on this one for a little bit. Um, I think sometimes we become people where we, we don't think we're very capable of making a difference in people's lives. Uh, maybe you're a little bit of an introvert. Uh, maybe you're, you're not the most outgoing or engaging kind of a person. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you actually can make friends really well, but it's hard for you to maintain friendships. Uh, whatever the reasons are, there are reasons why all of us have moments of insecurity. Moments where we feel like, I can't, I can't talk to people and, and make a difference in their lives. I can't show them who Jesus is. What I love about this passage is that Jesus has called out not just the 12 main disciples that he, he's got following him. He's called out 72 people. Now I've got to admit, in, in a group of 72 people, there's probably people of all different kinds of types... And people who probably aren't the kind who are super engaging. But he's calling out these 72 people and saying, you guys are capable of going out and telling people about me. Wasn't just leaving it to the 12. And in, in later on, Matthew 28, 19, we see that Jesus literally gives the call to every single believer to go out into the world and make disciples. He's not saying that we have to have special abilities. He's not saying that we have to have special training to do this. But if you've been changed by Jesus, you're fully qualified to help change the world for Jesus. You could have the most, the, the biggest mess-ups and mistakes that anybody has ever made. And I'm telling you, if Jesus has changed you, you're qualified to go out, like Jesus is telling these 72 to do. I think it's also interesting to see there, here, that in this story, he sends out 72, but he sends them out two by two. Not one by one. He sends them out two by two. There is something about doing ministry with other people that helps us. Uh, if you've got a friend that you're like, man, I really want him to get to know Jesus. If you've got another friend who knows Jesus that's their friend also, team up. Like, there's something about accountability and working together that makes reaching out to people for Jesus a little bit easier, a little bit more simple. So the first part of this process is that everybody that Jesus calls to him can go and be called out as well. There's another part to this process. Understand that nothing happens from the standpoint of helping people know Jesus better without prayer. Prayer is your first priority in helping someone get to know Jesus. Uh, we probably talk about it a lot in, in sermons here, but prayer really is the, it's the starting point for people, people's hearts being open to Jesus. He says in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, it's interesting to me. He's sending these guys out, these men and women, out into the harvest field. And then he says, go and pray for more people to come into the harvest field. And the reason for it is, is you and I, we, we can't hit everybody. Your personality and my personality might be different. And we might be able to actually minister to people who are different from us. I might not be able to minister to somebody that you can, and I need somebody else to, to speak to that person. See, the worst thing that we can do is think that it's our charisma that's going to be the thing that can, can turn somebody towards Jesus. That's just not it. There is not a preacher who is good enough on his own to turn somebody to Jesus. There is not a story that is powerful enough to turn somebody to Jesus. It takes God's doing for this stuff to happen. Jesus is the director of any mission that draws people to himself. It's not a matter of marketing. It's not a matter, like I said, of charisma. It's also not a matter of manipulating. Can I say, growing up in the church, I've seen the church try to manipulate people into a relationship with Jesus too often. 
uh, you got preachers who will come up and, man, they, they know exactly what to try to do to get you to, to, to make a decision for Jesus or to, to make a decision to follow him a little closer. They'll find exactly the story that will get you just emotional because if, if I can get you to cry, I can get you to do anything. I think it's kind of what the thought is sometimes. Um, and then you got, the, even though I think the worst form of manipulation, it's the preacher fake cry. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but it happens. And so I've, I've kind of got teary-eyed a few times before. If you ever see me fake cry trying to get you to follow Jesus, just throw something at me from where you're at. Um, there's something ugly in trying to manipulate people into a, into a decision with, with Jesus. We should do whatever we can to help people see who Jesus is. But manufacturing it and manipulating it, it will not make for someone to make a long-term decision that will benefit their relationship with Jesus. It just won't. So here's the thing that I encourage, and it's, it's coming straight from this passage. The thing I encourage is pray. Pray for people. Pray for the people in your lives. Um, one of the things, I've said this plenty of times before, but one of the things I do, I've got a list of a ton of different young adults that I have, that, that I've been a pastor to in 20 years of ministry, and I pray for these young people. And I, I like to say that they're young people, but some of them are like 38 now that I youth pastored. Because uh, I started when I was 21, and if they're 18, it's like, that makes me feel really old. They got kids. Some of them maybe even have, their kids have kids, I don't know. Uh, but as I'm out for a run sometimes, I pray for these, these young people. And one of the things that I pray for them is this. See, I'm not, in, I'm not in close proximity to them anymore, a lot of them, because we live in different parts of the country. So I pray, God, bring somebody into their lives. If it can't be me, bring somebody into their lives who can help them see what the gospel of Jesus is, what the good news of Jesus, what the grace and the love of Jesus actually looks like. Um, that is what Jesus is telling us to do in this passage. He's saying, pray for somebody, other workers, to come into this harvest. Here's the thing. I, I, can't, I can't minister to everybody. My personality does not jive with everybody. Some of you are like, I'm glad he's got at least a little bit of understanding of that. Because uh, this guy's crazy. He's not like me. But here's the thing. You can, con you can connect with somebody that I can, can't connect with and vice versa. These kids that, that are at Wilson Elementary, and many of them come from some pretty rough situations, and kids that were on the, the reservation back in my hometown area, I loved connecting with kids coming from, from sort of messed up situations. It, it does something to me. There is a group of people, a type of person that, that you probably, God has gifted you to be able to connect with. There might be other people who are like, I can't stand you. But there is a person that you can make a connection with. Make that connection. But then what you do, pray and ask God to bring workers into the harvest, the people that you can't connect to. And it'll make a difference. Part of this process is letting Jesus be the one to draw people to himself. Um, sometimes it's about less arm twisting, and it's about actually just praying and asking God to bring in people for the harvest. All right, so what's the next part in the process? Remind yourself that the mission of others knowing Jesus is more important than you probably ever make it out to be in your daily life. The mission of people knowing Jesus, it is so much more important than you or I think about it as every day. 
uh, in verses 3 and 4, Jesus says, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. This, if you actually look at this, this is kind of interesting what he's saying here. What are wolves back, uh, obviously for us, they're a scary animal. Like, I don't want to come across a wolf. I was biking one day, and a coyote ran in front of my bike, and that was enough to make me almost want to die right there. A wolf is even bigger. They're scarier. It's frightening. But what was it for this culture back then? They were a ferocious animal that actually was about devouring everything around them. Sheep were such an important part of that culture that you could trade, like it was part of their income, their, their economy, and a wolf could take out an entire pack of sheep. And what's interesting here is that while a wolf is such a menace, Jesus is talking about sending out these people, these 72, like they're lambs among the wolves. A lamb being sent out among the wolves is actually going to be attacked and probably killed. Like, Jesus, I'm, I'm seeing what you're doing here and I don't like it. Okay? This is, what are you asking us to do, Jesus? He knows everybody that he's sending out into the world, it's going to be difficult. They're going to be, a lot of times, rejected more than they're going to be accepted. But it also is something that he sees and understands as being that important. He said, don't take anything with you. Don't even greet anybody. He's like, don't take your purse, don't take your sand. I'm pretty sure I wasn't going to take my purse, Jesus. Thank you very much. Um, sandals, no, I'll probably, let me take some running shoes. But, but then the weird thing is, is he says... Don't even greet anybody on the road as you're going to this place. He's sending us out to talk to people about Jesus, but then he also says, there might be somebody coming on the road that you could talk to. Don't, what I've got for you is so important. Don't even greet him on the road. There is somebody out there that Jesus has put on your heart that he wants you to make it his, your urgent, important matter. There might be other people, but sometimes Jesus is saying, that's not for you. Sure, pray for him. But I'm calling you there. I'm calling you to this open door that I've given to you. So why don't you ask yourself this. How often do I make someone's eternity my urgent mission? How often do I make somebody else's eternity my urgent mission? Because I know for me, I, it's not urgent enough a lot of the time. And honestly, in the church, sometimes we get really mixed up in what we see as being most important. Um, sometimes we treat Bible studies like they're more important than people. Uh, we have people who so badly want to study scripture and, and gain knowledge of scripture, yet they forget that all of that knowledge doesn't do any good if we don't go out and love people. I, I'm, here's the thing. I don't think that Bible studies are bad. Don't get me wrong. Bible studies are really, really good. But I want to say this. I think partly in the church, sometimes why people are so far from Jesus outside the churches, they've seen these people who are so religious in the church and all about Bible studies, yet they don't know how to not be a jerk when they're around them. We are not called to be jerks to people. We are called to, if you study the Bible and you see what Jesus has done for you, we're called to love people. And we need to sometimes do that better. Um, you know, the people that, uh, that Jesus got the most mad at throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, it was Pharisees. The people who knew scripture more than anybody else, but they didn't know how to love people. So I'll say this. When it comes to what's going to be the best thing for you as a Christian, reading your Bible all day or going and loving somebody and showing them Jesus, it's always going to be showing them Jesus. 
every single time. And sometimes as a, in, in the history of the church, we have not done that very well. Now again, you might be somebody, you're here and you're like, you know what, I, I wouldn't even think about sharing Jesus with somebody because I don't even know what I think about Jesus. Uh, I get that. I understand that. Uh, but I, what I also want to say to you here is Jesus loves you so much. He values you so much that he actually is willing to send people who love him out into harm's way to come after you. You might be like, that sounds like an awful thing for a loving person to do. Jesus himself went to a cross. He's not asking us to do that. But he's asking us to go out of our comfort zone for people so that they can understand how good this love of Jesus is. Unfortunately, I think not many of us Christians, we really see this importance of Jesus, of sharing Jesus on an everyday basis. It is not as urgent in my everyday life as it should be. As a parent, it's not even as urgent for me in a parent, as a parent to, to, to make it be the mission of my kids knowing the love of Jesus in a good, pos- positive way. Other things get me sidetracked way too often. The process of Jesus calls us to keep it at the forefront of our, of our minds that we're called to go out and love people for Jesus. So what's the, the next part of this process that Jesus calls us to? When you talk to others, especially about matters of faith, it should not become confrontational. Your words should bring peace. Here's what he says in verses 5 and 6. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who, who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Now, I talked about not manipulating people as a preacher. I'm going to manipulate you for a second here, I think, okay? Preachers do this a lot. They say if there's one thing that you should listen to and walk away remembering, it's this. I actually think that this is what is that for you today. This is the important thing here. Jesus does not call on us to be confrontational in how we talk to people. doesn't call us to be confrontational. Um, I don't care if it's a spiritual conversation. I don't care if it's an everyday conversation. There is too much of confrontational people giving the church and giving Jesus a bad name in our society today. We're not called to be that. If you want to have relationships with people uh, that you, where you can actually share Jesus with them and, and, and do something important in their lives, stop being so confrontational. Uh, Love people rather than fight to be heard over them. Love people rather than always trying to get them to agree with you and to give up all of their ways of thinking that you think are wrong. And yeah, I think we can speak the truth. We can actually even combat things that are false, but we can't do that and also be a jerk. We're not called as Christians to be jerks. I think this is something that every single one of us we, we should repent of when we go to bed at night because the truth is we probably all are jerks at some point in time during the day in being confrontational with people. And then we should ask God, help me not to be that. Because here's the thing. I don't know if there's anything that has turned people away from Jesus more than the church being so confrontational with people when they try to get them to, to follow Jesus that we aren't even nice. How in the world are people supposed to follow Jesus if we, the people that are following Jesus, can't even be nice when we talk to them about Jesus? It doesn't make sense. And honestly, I think our society is, is it's actually stuck in jerk mode right now. Like we just, 
We just don't know how to get away from being jerks. You see it on, on social media, left and right. You see it in, on the political landscape. Man, turn on, turn on sports talk radio. Sports commentators are confrontational jerks all the time. It's how they make their money. Go to an, an elementary grade school and go on the, recess, uh, on the playground for recess. You're going to find a lot of confrontational jerks there. But guess what? They're just following what we adults are doing all day long. It's what, we, it's, what we, it's what everybody sees. And somewhere in the midst of that, I don't think that, I don't think we've done great in the church all the time of being different from that. But I want you to see what Jesus says here. He says, the first thing that you should do when you enter a house is say, peace to this house. Now what's he actually saying there? He's saying, give a blessing of peace on people. When you, when you are in somebody's company, bless them with peace. But how many times when the topic of Jesus comes up and somebody says something that, that is, it offends you a little bit about Jesus or about the church, how many times then have you gotten riled up yourself and you've been unable to peaceably talk with them in that moment? It happens a lot. Man, go online and watch watch videos of confrontations, Christians with non-Christians, and sometimes, I mean, stuff can just get ugly. We don't give ourselves a very good name that way. We simply are not going to win anybody to Jesus through arguments. We will not convince people to follow Jesus that way anytime, any day, ever. All we're going to do is we're going to push people away, uh, away from Jesus when we go off of that, when we leave that peaceful approach. So that's why he's saying, go into a house, and if, if they'll accept your peace, man, just stay there. And actually, it leads into the, these next three verses, lead into the next part of this process that takes us away from confrontation, and it leads us to what the logical conclusion that Jesus is trying to get to. Here's what he says. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Here's what Jesus is saying in this part. He's saying, if you want to make a difference in people's lives, you must work at investing in real relationships while also attending to their needs and hurts in whatever ways you can offer. If you want to make a difference, the only way we're going to make a difference is by investing in a real relationship. Here's the thing. We live in a culture now where, you know, before I was alive, I know people went out and they did the track thing, handing out tracks to people a lot. And supposedly it sounds like a lot of people got saved that way. We don't live in that culture anymore. The culture that we live in now, people have to have a real relationship with you. Here's why people have to have a real relationship with you. So many people that are far from Jesus have been burned by the church or by Christians. They've had people who, who, were, who were confrontational jerks to them. They saw the church doing things that they shouldn't have done. Some of my favorite people, some of my best friends, the reason that they've had a hard time accepting Jesus is because of what the church has done in the name of Jesus. And it's been wrong. Um, and what I'm saying here is, if you want to make a difference, it's not about handing a track to somebody and having a quick, hey, here's what, make, have a relationship with Jesus. It is having a real relationship with that person where they can start to see the real Jesus through your life. It may take years. Man, I pray for the, I pray for the long haul in, in situations, in relationships with people. God, over the next 20 years, 
help this person to see who you really are. Because the image that they have right now is not good. He said to these 72 missionaries, and this is what I love here. He said to them, don't move around. When you go to a home and you, you bless their, that home with peace and they accept it, don't go anywhere else. What he's saying is, hunker down and stay in re- build real relationship. When God opens a door, run through that door and then go and sit on the couch in that house and just stay there. Uh, I, I love what, what, what's happening here is because sometimes I think that Jesus just wants me to go and tell everybody about Jesus. And I think everybody needs to be told about Jesus. And I think we need to be praying for that. But what he's really leaning here towards is we are called to go to people who we have an opening with. Go to people where we have a peace of, peaceable relationship with and then build that relationship. And over time, let that person see who Jesus is through our relationship with them. You're only really going to make a difference in someone's life for Jesus uh, if you let them into your life. God opens that door, run through that door, and stay there for a while. See, I believe that Jesus is calling out to all of us like he calls out to these 72 people in this passage. He's calling us to go out and to tell people about Jesus. And I think it's, while it's an urgent call, I don't think it's a scary call. I, I love this, uh, this is from an NIV application commentary I read this week. The writer said this, Many are intimidated to share Jesus because they feel they do not know what to say. Jesus sends the 72 and tells them simply to give of themselves and point to the presence of God. Sometimes we make evangelism more difficult than it needs to be. Get into someone's life. And maybe you can't, maybe you can't put your hand on somebody and, and they get healed from a sickness. But he's saying go in and, and bring healing where you can bring healing. Somebody's going through depression. Somebody's going through hard times. Get into their world and, and bring healing the way that you can as a follower of Jesus. And as you do that, you point them back to Jesus. It's not about you, it's about him. I think Jesus really makes it a doable thing for us to tell others about him. I think it's, honestly, a lot of it's simple rules for actually building good relationships with people. What is it this morning as we've been talking through this passage? What stands out to you today? What are some areas that you think God is maybe nudging you in this week to, to ask him to grow you? Is it praying for somebody else? Now, I think praying for somebody else can be maybe the easiest thing that you could do. Uh, to just get in that place where you're telling somebody about Jesus. Just asking, some, asking God to, to bring somebody into their life. Being willing to put yourself in a difficult spot for the sake of somebody else. is a little bit more difficult. But you know, Jesus put himself in a difficult spot for us. He went to the cross for us. And I think he calls us to constantly be looking for ways that we can put ourselves in difficult spots it means bringing someone towards Jesus. Fighting the urge to become confrontational and fighting to win arguments. All right, so this week, a lot of you guys are going to have a Thanksgiving meal. And you're going to have a Thanksgiving meal with family members. And a lot of you are going to have that with family members who don't think the way that you do about something. Maybe politics, maybe, maybe religion, whatever it is. Can I urge you, don't become argumentative. If you want somebody especially somebody you love as much as a family member to get to know Jesus, you should be able to sit at a Thanksgiving meal long enough and not have an argument. I know arguments happen with families. 
doesn't mean we'd be the worst people if, they, if, it, if an argument arose. But man, can we love people enough to show people the love of Jesus without having to get into an argument? Seeing people for who they are, people that Jesus desires more than anyone else, more than anything else. Do I look at people and realize that Jesus has a desire for that person? Investing in real relationships and taking time to get to know others enough that you can help them where they really need help. If I don't invest enough to get into a real relationship, I don't know where their hurts are. I don't know how to help them. These are ways I think God is calling us through this passage to invest. Which of these areas do you feel like God needs to, to grow you in? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.